So y'all doing well? I'm not. I, I'm doing terrible. I had, a, uh, I had a, a really nice meeting I went to this morning with a bunch of pastors, and then we went out and voted, and I put some window washer fluid in my car, and, and then I started checking the other fluids, which I haven't done stuff on cars for 100 years, you know, and, and I noticed my wife's car was low on oil, and so I went and got a quart of oil and put it in there and never put the cap back on the engine. I got here tonight, and there's smoke coming out from under the hood. There's oil streaming all down the side of the car. I, and lucky the thing didn't light on fire. And I'm thinking, uh, we have a meeting after church tonight, and I'm going to be out there in the dark trying to figure out if there's enough oil to get home. or, you know. And then i got to think, you know, we just moved to a new house, right? New, new house. And so I do not want that stupid car sitting in the garage, dripping oil all over the floor. And... Uh, other than that, everything is really good. <laughs> oh, you know, we started a new mini church this week, and um, it's an Alpha group. Uh, you, you saw the commercial. It's still time if you would like to get into Alpha, which, a, which answers the most fundamental questions about life and about the Lord and how he interacts with your life. And uh, it's really, really, really designed for people who don't even know the Lord and are skeptics. But what we have found in our church is that lots of people are really enjoying this as a kind of a way to just get the basics underneath them. Uh, in our mini church that we were in the other night, uh, we, we were in Eva, by the way. Um, we, we had a couple there that uh, are both in the military. They met, they met in Afghanistan, uh, got married uh, shortly after that. They, they have each done a tour in Iraq. Uh, he stepped on an IED. And, uh, and, and it blew up under his leg. And fortunately, the person who had put it in the ground put it in upside down, and most of the force of the explosion went downward. The guy's carrying shrapnel in his, in his leg. He's got scars all over his body. Uh, he's partly blind in one eye. It's just an incredible story of God's grace and deliverance in, in a life of a guy who, who trusts the Lord. Uh, we, we, as we went on through the evening, we shared uh, the one couple... Uh, had just come out of prison, and uh, both of them. And they, they had been through some real hard times, and they had done some real bad things. And uh, uh, the guy had done some very, very, very bad things. When I, I heard more of his story later on, uh, it, it, it turns out some extremely violent things he's done in his past. And I, I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm looking at these really, really sweet people. And they're building a life together, and they've got hope. And, and it's not like they're 20 years old either. They're, they're, they're in their 40s, and, and they're, uh, uh, they've got all this, this incredible hope of a future. Uh, I see the other couple, they're, they're, they're both of them getting ready to go back to Afghanistan. They've got hope in the future. These other people have hope in a future of a different kind. Both of them, the, the hope is rooted in the Lord and in, in the power of the Lord to do uh, great and mighty things in your life. I, I watched a couple of people this week who uh, w were at odds with each other. They had just their relationship had broken down. And, 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 and I, I, it was the point where it was, I, I would pray about it and I would pray God do the thing that's impossible because it looked impossible. And uh, I, I just got to see God's glory in this wondrous uh, restoration of relationship. And and the love that was there. It was just so, so, so cool. 
you know, what's a little bit of oil all over your engine compartment compared to that? <laughs> but anyway, we're going to talk tonight about freedom that we have in the Lord. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at the first few verses uh, as we get started here. And um, it, 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 it ends up talking about freedom from sin and from, from religion, the law. And both of those, if you stop and think about it for a moment as we're getting started here, both of those are prisons. You know, I know a couple of people who at one time were alcoholics. And, um, and, and, and their, their, their life held a lot of fear and a lot of bondage. And what started out as a promise of pleasure ended up becoming a jail. And it was taking them down financially. It was taking them down in their relationship. It was taking them down as parents. It was taking them down in every way. And I, I watched the Lord come into their life and set them completely free from this stuff. And uh, it, 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 there's nothing but peace and joy and, and restoration. Because, because in, in, in these times, when you're in bondage to sin, Satan robs you. You know, my friend Ernie Hunt always talks about people who are addicts or who are alcoholics. And he says it's almost like uh, being taken out of school in the fourth grade. You didn't go to school for four or five years. And then in the eighth grade or the ninth grade, they shove you back in school. And you've got this gap of, of you didn't, you, there's, you're missing knowledge. And, you, and you, people who are addicted to stuff, you know, whether it's sexual perversion or it's alcohol or it's drugs, whatever, greed, we, we, we get sidelined. And it becomes a bondage. It becomes a prison. It starts out to make great promises. It ends up as an entrapment. The other extreme is religious law. You know, we're going to read about the law of Moses tonight a little bit. But you just got to think of religion in terms of uh, a bunch of rules and do and don't. And that you, you, you find yourself in bondage to rules and, and, and rigid behavior. And uh, that it takes life away from you. And the Lord wants to come to give us freedom, to, to have a, a healthy, balanced, well-rounded uh, life where things are prospering, our relationships are prospering, our, just the, the stuff that we do, our businesses are going forward, our, our, our life is working, where God's hand is in our life, doing the miraculous, answering our prayers, protecting us. I mean, a guy steps on an IED and he's here to talk about it. Uh, pretty incredible story. God's grace is there to set us free and to, to make life into something of joy. And, and so that's where we're going with this. But as we get started, uh, Paul is still writing to the church at Corinth. And just a reminder, we've been talking about this. This was a church that uh, was seeing uh, kind of an interesting, uh, it's like a bipolar church. They were seeing uh, powerful acts of God in terms of miracles taking place in their church. And yet they were at each other's throats. And uh, we read about that in 1 Corinthians. They were fighting with each other, all kind of things. And Paul has had to uh, write some corrective letters to them. And this is the third of a series of four. And he's made a couple of visits. And, and they weren't always the most pleasing of visits because he's trying to correct them. And in this letter, it's, it's like things are starting to pipe down and things are starting to work well. And so he's just trying to do, do some rebuilding in their lives as he writes. And and, and he, he starts, first writes about his own self. And he says, Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation? In the ancient world, if you went to... It's, it's true today to some degree. Uh, it, it, you, we use letters of recommendation. If 
you know, you get a letter of recommendation for a job or you get a re- letter of recommendation. I know some churches in the south where if you move to another town and you want to join a new church, you bring a letter from your pastor to commend you to the people in the new church so that they will trust you. Uh, well, in the ancient world where they didn't have systems like we have electronic systems for verifying identity and, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, there, there would be letters of recommendation. and They were hugely important. You would go to a new place and you would present a letter going, these people believe in me, so therefore you ought to give some trust to me and, 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 and that was an important thing. So he says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation? In other words, we already know you, so we ought not to have to bring a letter of recommendation to you. Um, or should we ask you to write these kind of letters on our behalf to other people? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is actually you are yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts, and everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. You guys and what you stand for and, and, and the work that God did as we came into your midst and the Holy Spirit did what he did is, is, is fine. It's recommendation enough. You know, I, I relate to this real strongly in a little different way than he is, is uh, talking. You know, he, he goes on verse 3 and says, Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. In other words, uh, he, he's kind of getting at them about, you know, do I need other people to write me a letter of recommendation? When I come to you, I ought not to because you wouldn't even be Christians if it wasn't for me. And then he kind of wanders off and he starts talking about, you know, when I go to other places, you guys are my letter of recommendation. The fact of who you are and the way that you live your life and and the fact that that the problems you had when I wrote you 1 Corinthians are being resolved and things are going good in your life, those are are my letters of recommendation, uh, you and the way you live your life. Well, whenever I read the scripture, I always think about, um, all, all the stuff that I do is I travel around the world and uh, training pastors how to raise up leaders in, from within the local church and multiply churches because that's really what I'm doing. But the, the whole thing always boils down to you guys and what you're doing and the mini churches that we're starting and the, the leadership development that goes on in there and the result of that starting other stuff. I, I see Alan Colleen Kalama and, and their, their son Randall uh, who grew up in our church since he was, what, 14, 15 years old? 12, oh my gosh. And, and, and this thing called PS150 in Chinatown, which is basically a church in Chinatown uh, that is reaching people in ways that nobody else did. Very different than a mission, uh, very different than somebody going down and just trying to pray with people on the street, but a, 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 a place where people begin to bond and they build relationships and they build community. Well, th- those kinds of things become the letter of commendation that, uh, that God is doing something. He's doing something in, in our midst as a church. Lives are being changed, and that's a healthy thing. Verse 3, clearly you're a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but it's carved on human hearts. Lives are being changed. I'm, as I'm, I'm looking across the room tonight, I... I'm looking at a man who uh, came to me about three or four months ago with extreme anxiety to the point that he said that he would go behind a, a shipping container and break down and cry at work and uh, uh, several times during a week. And, and I've watched him and another brother get together and pray. And, and, and just the, the bond of friendship that's been there and the, and, and the 
introduction of the Lord to the situation as they're praying together. And, 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 and when I talk to them now, it's like everything's cool. God's grace is flowing. Good stuff is happening. This is what the Lord wants to have happen in our lives. It says in verse 4, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think that we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. You know, the whole issue here isn't that, you know, uh, somebody's a good speaker or somebody's a good counselor or somebody is a good organizer. Uh, the whole issue here is that there is a, is a supernatural overlay to whatever is going on. And without that, uh, it, it, it's not, you know, church is nothing but an exercise in self-help. Um, you know, churches can can degenerate into that. You know, we can we can become legalistic, and it sort of becomes a, a lecture. Uh, you come here, and somebody tells you how to behave, and you go out and you do your best to do that. It's not about that. It's about opening yourself up to the Spirit of God, who wants to change you and to change your heart and to 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 to, to bring life where there was no life and peace where there was no peace and to. To, to do things that are, are lit, just literally miraculous. No other way of saying it other than that God did a miracle and changed you and uh, his, his grace is there. And so is, you, you see this and you see the, the hope that it brings. You know, the couple that I was talking about in our mini church that, that were just sharing about what they've gone through in their life in terms of uh, what put them in prison. And... Uh, and the life that they have, and the hope that they have, and I mean, the the, the talk about uh, hoping to be able to buy a house, and and hoping to get ahead at work, that kind of stuff that that you just sort of take for granted. But somebody who's been really down, and you see God's grace poured out in their life, and 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 where you meet other people who've been through the same kind of circumstance, and they have no hope at all, and they're bitter, and they're angry, and they're and they're and they're hard. And you see these people, and you see the, the, the sweetness and the tenderness and the, and the joy and the hope that's there. Uh, it can only be the power of God in a human heart that does that kind of thing. Am I making sense? It ain't Hope Chapel, folks. It's God. Verse 6. It says, He has enabled us or permitted us to be ministers of His new covenant. It is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. You know, when we say Old Testament, New Testament, it, 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 there's three words that could be used interchangeably. Testament, and you go, you really don't even know what that means because that's, that's a word we don't use much in English these days other than somebody's last will and testament. And even then, you don't know what the heck is a testament. Uh, but what it really means is a covenant or a contract. And he, and he makes a contrast between the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New. And he says the Old Written Covenant ends in death, but under the New Covenant, the Spirit gives life. You know, Paul writes about this in the book of Romans, and, and, and he talks about the fact that, that we had the, the Old Testament law, the rules, and none of us could keep it. And basically, if you look at the whole Old Testament, there's, there's like three kinds of laws. There's... There's the Ten Commandments. That's like the moral law. And that's really what he's talking about. And then secondly, there was the laws that were civil laws. If you read through in, in Leviticus and Numbers, they're very, very hard to read through. It's because they're boring. And, but, but it's like if your ox gores somebody else's ox, here's what you owe them. You know? and, and then there's a third part, and that's the religious law. 
And that's sort of like this. If you messed up the first part, the Ten Commandments, then here's how God wants you to show your repentance and your attitude of heart toward Him. And the problem was that it very quickly became evident that it's impossible to do the top ten. You know, it says don't murder. Um, it, but it also says don't covet. And don't murder is fairly easy for most of us, but don't covet is pretty hard for most of us. It says don't lie. Uh, some people have a real hard time telling the truth. You know, everything's an exaggeration with them. Uh, and so <clears throat> you, you, the, the, the problem is that the promise that religion gives is do this and live, fail at this and you die. Now, I'm not just talking about the Jewish law in the Old Testament. I'm talking about virtually every religious system on the earth. It says, do this and live, fail to do this and you die. It has some sort of a concept of heaven and hell. And it basically says, do this, you go up, fail to do this, you go down. There's a scripture in the book of Acts that says uh, that there is salvation in none other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, rescued, other than the name of Jesus. And if you stop and really think and even research, what you'll find out is that every single system of religion, including the Old Testament, is a karma deal. You get good karma and bad karma. You do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. You get to the New Testament and you realize Here's a God who saw us in our weakness, in our helplessness. We can't do the top ten. We can't keep the law. We can't be religious enough. We can't be righteous enough. And so he took it upon himself in mercy to come to us and to pay the price for our sin and to make it possible for us to be free from our sin, from the prison of sin, from the prison of religion, and to live a life with him. And so... It says that this is something that he does uh, under the new covenant. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. And, it, and the Holy Spirit makes you into a healthy person. I have a companion scripture I want to give to you. You might want to write in the margin of your Bible. Uh, it's talking about Jesus. And it says in verse, uh, chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 15, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and the people, so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance that God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they committed under the first covenant. Jesus came to set us free from the penalty of the sin. You see, the, the law said, fail at this and you die. Jesus died in our place so that we could be uh, people who experience the mercy and the freedom that God has. Am I making headway? It says in the old way, verse 7, the laws were etched in stone and led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. As, as you read the story in the Old Testament, it says that as Moses went on the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments and he came down from the mountain, that his face was like glowing in the dark. You know, it doesn't say it in great detail. It just says that his face radiated the glory of the Lord to the point that the people asked him to put a bag over his head. And, uh, and, and, and literally, it says that. And every time that he would go and meet with the Lord in a place called the Tent of Meeting, that he would come out and his face would be shining 
And the people, you know, he had to put the bag over his head because the people couldn't stand to look at the aftermath of the glory of God. And so it says that when, when the law was given, it was, it was like a glorious day. It was something wondrous and, and uh, should point to the miraculous nature of God. Uh, but he goes on and says in verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? In the old way, which brings condemnation, if it came to us in a glorious way, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very, very bold. Since this new way, is, is, it, there's evidence of it in the lives around you. You know, I, I was just talking to a lady tonight during the break in the service when we were asked to just greet one another. and She just lost her mom this week. And, and uh, uh, unexpectedly, she, the, the, the mom was in hospice. They knew she was sick. Um, but she had come to a point where it looked like she was at death's door and then she pulled out of it before. And this week she went the other way and, and she was gone. And, and it happened early in the week and they said she went back to work on Friday and, and the, the Lord just holding her together and doing gracious stuff in her life. And, and, and she's got this peace in her life. And, and she said this one woman came up to her and just said, you know, I, I just hats off to you. I can't, I can't believe that you're back here. And, and she goes, but it's the Lord. It's the Lord doing what he's doing in my life. And she said the, the conversation got interrupted. She didn't get a chance to follow up on that conversation. But when, when the Lord comes into our life, there's something of God's glory that's deposited in a human heart. And it makes a difference. Am I making sense when I say this? And so we're, we're, we're changed. And, and the, the, the thing that we ought to think about, he says here in verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, then we can be very bold. We can be very, very bold. We can be uh, looking at life and we can ask God to do the impossible. I told you that I saw a couple of people have a restored relationship. I thought there wasn't really, I mean, there was nothing that ever I could do to try to bring it together. It just had to be God or it wasn't going to be. But it was God. And it is. And God's grace is there. And, and when you see God do the miraculous in your life, then, you, then, then common sense says what Paul writes here. Since this new way gives us, more, gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. You know, we watched a, a video the other night. We had uh, what we call equip and the, the leaders meeting that we do uh, once a month on Tuesday. And uh, we picked up a new book. And I think it's going to be in the bookstore if you want to pick it up and read it. It's called Sun Stand Still. Sun Stand Still. And um, it, it, it's a book that's kind of built around a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. And it's a place where uh, the, 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 the people of Israel had moved into the land of Canaan, and suddenly they find themselves outnumbered uh, by five different armies that come against them. And God does this incredible, miraculous thing. Uh, the Bible says that it began to hail, and that the hail killed more of the enemy and the Israelis did in the troops. And, but then when it came time for the mopping up action, it was starting to get dark. And so Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still. And the Bible says that the sun stood still. Now, uh, when, when, you, when you read it in the Bible, you go, this, this, is, this can't be. 
because the sun doesn't stand still. The sun's out there anyway, and the earth is doing its thing, right? And, and you know if the earth stops spinning. So what, what is the scientific answer? And I actually went online and started searching. And I found out there is one that's floating around, but it's a myth. And, uh, you know, there's this thing that if you, that you may have run across this that says that, that NASA scientists were doing this thing and, and uh, they set these computers up to, to track where the position of the sun and the position of the earth were going to be. And, and, and their, their computers kind of screeched to a halt because there was a day missing someplace back there in history. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's an urban myth. That's not true. The Bible doesn't give any answer at all. You know, I can actually find scientists can postulate why they believe that an earthquake in Greece caused the Red Sea to part at the exact moment that Moses put his stick in the ocean. And, uh, and, 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 and I buy that. I buy that. I, I, I think that, that God uses natural phenomenon. Uh, the, 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 the miracle would be that Moses put his stick there just exactly at the right time. Uh, wouldn't it? Um, you know, the, the star of Bethlehem uh, that, the, that the, the wise men saw in the sky and then they moved. Uh, there, there's this big, long scientific explanation called the retrograde loop of Saturn. And that what they're actually seeing was Saturn and, it, and, it, and the way it was going around the sun and the way it looks from the earth, it looked like it went and stood still for a while and then went back another way. And, and again, I can, I can buy that. I, I, I can go, well, the fact was that the wise men read the scriptures when they read the scriptures. Um, they were astrologers. They looked up in the sky. They saw this thing. They followed it. And it took them to where the Messiah was born. And, and I have no problem believing that. It's kind of, does that make sense to you? And I mean, to me, God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. But I can't find any explanation at all for what I'm about to read to you. I'm just going to read it. And uh, it's in Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. And it says, So Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. Night march, surprise in the morning. The Lord threw the other armies into a panic, and the Israelis slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Machedah. As the Amorites retreated down from the, the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelis killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelis victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Now this pretty bold move. In front of all the people of Israel, he prays. You know, it's one thing to go do it in a corner. It's another thing in front of people. And he said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jeshar, which isn't in the Bible? In other words, this didn't just happen as, as is being written down here in Joshua. Isn't somebody else also wrote about it, is what he's saying. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky. It didn't set for a normal day, uh, for about a whole day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now, what it's really saying is that we would have audacity when we pray. That we would pray and we would ask for things that there is no possible way on earth 
that they can happen if God doesn't come through. You know, I've, I, I've watched young people go down, 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 get separated from their parents, estranged. Uh, they, they've got people around them that are just dragging them down a trail into drugs and alcohol and destruction. And then mom keeps praying, mom keeps praying, mom keeps praying, and suddenly a new friend pops into the, to the life of their child, and this new friend happens to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and that person's life is turned around, and, and, and they come out and, and they walk with the Lord. Uh, these kind of prayers, these sons stand still kind of prayers. A companion scripture to this is in James chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Elijah was as human as we are, and when he prayed, it quit raining because God told him to quit praying, and the, and the rain would stop because he wanted to bring judgment on a nation that had turned their back on God. And then when Elijah prayed again, the, the, you know, the Bible, actually, if you read it in 1 Kings, it says that, that he prayed uh, seven times, and, it's, and, and nothing happened six times. And the seventh time, he said a cloud was in the sky that looked like the, the size of a man's hand. And, and Elijah turns to the king and says, you better get off the mountain because it's going to pour. And by the time the king got off the mountain, it was pouring. It was, it was drenching. God did a miracle that day. You know, I read that, that verse in the Bible, and a bunch of us were in Mongolia in a drought. Uh, Mongolia is a, is, a, is a very, very harsh place. It's, uh, its nearest neighbors are China to the south and Siberia to the north. Uh, it goes 85 below zero in the wintertime if you count in wind chill. Uh, we've been sending computers to Mongolia. Uh, we, we, we start out with obsolete laptops so that the that Christians that we know there could not have to have meetings at night where they would go out because it's so terribly cold and that they just could have the, the luxury of email. And uh, in the summertime, often it, there, there, there'll be horrible droughts. Uh, sometimes Mongolia gets only three inches of total precipitation in a year. Extremely cold in the winter, but no snow. Uh, sunny days. And uh, uh, I've been going to Mongolia since the year 2000, which is only 12 years. And twice there have been droughts that have killed hundreds of thousands of animals. And we were there in one such drought at one time. And we had brought a team of guys from Japan in. And I was trying to hook the, and it worked. I was trying to hook the Japanese churches up with the Mongolian churches. And, and uh, Jeff McKay uh, preached that day. We, we, we drove for uh, 300 miles along the side of the Gobi Desert. It took 22 hours. We were going about 13 miles an hour across the prairie. No roads at all, just dirt track across the prairie. I don't know how these guys know how to go here and then turn here and then go there and turn. It was just crazy. And, and, and so we went to these people's house and, and they had church in their home and uh, they weren't home. And so their, their, their friends were all there, and, and you know, it's, a, it's a fairly sizable village, maybe 1,500 people in the village. And, and so we, we went down, and we, we set up in a place where we found a little grassy spot, and it was actually right next to a little bridge. There was one little stream that went through the, the, the village, and there was this little bridge there. And we, so we set up, and there's all these sheep and goats and yaks and cows that are wandering around us, and we're having church out there. And uh, Jeff McKay, who used to be at Hope Chapel Medellani, who's now a missionary in Japan, was preaching. And uh, it, it, at, at the end of the, the message, uh, about 20 people 
receive the Lord. I mean, it was like shocking. There's probably only 40 people from the village that gathered, but people kept gathering because they'd come walking across the bridge and there's all these white people in town, you know? And so they was like, what are these people, you know? And and they all kind of idolized Japan anyway. It was a bunch of Japanese guys. And so they, they, they'd hang out and they'd hang out and they'd hang out. And, and pretty soon, a whole bunch of people accepted the Lord. And uh, very, very dry, very dusty, whatever. And we get back to get in the car. And some cluck gets an idea and says, let's pray for rain for these people. And it's like, would you shut up? <laughs> You're out of your brain. What are you talking about? Pray for rain for these people. They're going to stone us with rocks when we pray and that doesn't rain. And so we very publicly get everybody there and we make a massive circle of people. There's like maybe, I don't know how many people, a lot of people now. And this person prays and somebody translates it and we pray for rain and then we start putting our stuff together and we have like a little battery operated sound system and we had guitars and all that kind of stuff. And we start putting our stuff together and get it in the cars. We had three cars of us guys. And by the time that we got in the car, we had to jump in the car because it's pouring rain. Big, fat drops of rain. And we had been in a clear, sunny sky. And all of a sudden, these clouds just started forming. And you know what? God answers idiot prayers. <laughs> or should I say audacious prayers? This is the glory of the Lord. This is the way that it works. Well, it goes on and says in verse 15, even today, when they meet, read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with a veil. It's like Moses had to put a veil over his face, but it's like people's hearts are covered with a veil. They, they, they read the, the scriptures and they don't understand. One of the problems that was, was, was a problem that Paul would have faced is that people who knew the Old Testament very well missed the fact that there's all these prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And anybody who, who I mean, Paul himself, think about it, Paul, the guy who's writing this, is a person who was an expert in the Old Testament. He was, he was highly trained. The Bible talks in one place about, he sat at the feet of the great Hebrew scholar Gamaliel. He was trained as best you could be trained in the things of the Old Testament. And yet he couldn't see Jesus for who he was until he met him in a miraculous way. And then after that, it's like the veil was removed from his eyes. And when he read through the Old Testament scriptures, he realizes all of this was leading up to this one man. And, and there's no way that anybody, you know, there's like over 200 and some prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. These are prophecies that were written over about 3,500 years. The prophets didn't know each other. They didn't live in the same century. And they write stuff that's in synchronization with the life of this one person. And you know, you couldn't set out and, and fake 220 prophecies and make them all happen in your life, especially prophecies about things that were going to happen before you were born or, or surrounding the, the event of your birth. You can't do that. And so Paul suddenly has the veil removed from his eyes, and he can see all this stuff. And he says it's sad that some of these people still can't get it. He says in verse 16, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know, I, I, I know so many different people in my life that were so anti-God. And then when they found the Lord, uh, everything changed. And, and their whole uh, attitude toward life changed. And, 
and and it just it, it's just wondrous what happens. You know, I have a friend that um, this is an old friendship guy I knew for a long, long time, and he was one of these guys that was into whatever he's into, he's into it up to his eyeballs, and then six weeks later, he's he's a he's into something else, and uh, I go, you know, and um, it, he 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 became a a Jesus freak. That that was the word that people used to criticize us back in the 1970s, and and. Uh, I remember when I met him, he, he was driving a Volkswagen van and the whole back window of his Volkswagen. Remember the, you guys, anybody here old enough to remember the VW vans with the curtains yeah. in the back and all that, you know? And uh, the peace signs on the sides and all that stuff. His, his, his back window of his van, he made this sign and it filled the whole back window and said, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? There's a little wisdom to that if you stop and think about it. I'm a fool for Christ. Who, who owns you? And, you know, who's fool are you? And, you know, all of his friends were like, eh, yada, yada, yada. You know, six weeks from now, he's going to be a Buddhist. And, uh, but that's not true. He went on and became a pastor and uh, ran a big radio thing in Southern California. And God used him in wonderful ways. It says, for today, when people read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil they don't understand. But whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The person changes. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom to be the person that you're supposed to be. You know, I have this feeling. It's this just deep, deep, deep conviction that every one of us, at some point in our childhood, has dreams and hopes, things that we, that we believe are supposed to be in our life. And I, I'm, I'm really convinced that those dreams, those hopes, aren't something of our own invention. They're something that God wrote on the heart of every person. A little different for everybody. But God put them there. And that when we finally come into a walk with the Lord, now we find that the Lord begins to take over. And, and those things that, that many of us for so many years have given up hope on, well, that'll never happen to me. That can't happen to me. That's impossible in my life. All of a sudden, things begin to shift and they begin to change and, and God begins to move us into uh, the desires of our heart. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so it says, we've all had the veil removed. We can reflect the glory of the Lord. I like that. We can reflect the glory of the Lord. We've had the veil removed. We encounter the Lord and then what's coming off of our face is something of the glory of the Lord. You know, I, 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 again, I, I watch two people sit and talk uh, without shame about a, a hard life, a life that had sent them to prison. And, uh, and their faces are radiating hope and peace and joy, the joy of the Lord. It's good, it's good, it's good. It says, the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him, like himself, as we're changed into his glorious spirit. See, the, 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 the one of the problems with Christians is they talk about Christianity. And I'm, I'm, I'm sick of Christianity, to be quite honest with you. Christianity today is kind of a right-wing political deal. Uh, we don't need that. What we need is Jesus Christ. You know, when I meet people that I don't know and they find out I'm a pastor, oh, you're a Christian, I go, no, no, I'm not. 
I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's not a political thing. I want to be like Jesus. That's what I want to be like. I don't want to be a guy who keeps a bunch of rules or who can run an organization. I just want to be a person who is being made like Jesus as I encounter Jesus in my life. Am I making sense? There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that to become something that you never thought you could be. Well, I'm done talking. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your son, Jesus. And, and um, you know, just as I'm standing here, I, I, looking across the room, I, there, there, there's so many people here. And we're actually growing, and that's kind of really cool. But what, what I'm looking at and thinking is, I wonder what kind of impossibilities are lurking in the hearts of, of the people seated here. And not just gas that, 70, 80% of us have got issues in our life that um, we've kind of given up on. Things that we would like to see changed, but um, we just kind of accept the status quo. And Lord, if this thing is really about you, and you're really who you say you are, and you really do the things that we read about in the Bible, then you can do them today as much as you could do them ever. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you would do something to just quicken faith inside of us. Lord, so that we would, we would get off the religion trip. We'd get off the Hope Chapel trip. And we'd get on to, this is about me having a relationship with an almighty, all-powerful, all-glorious God who can do stuff. And Lord, that you would, you, would, you would just boost our faith to the point that we trust you in ways that we never did before. We believe you in ways that, that, that we wouldn't otherwise. Lord, give us, I'm going to say almost an unnatural, but give us a supernatural faith and a confidence in you. And Lord, help us to walk in the freedom and the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to keep your eyes closed tonight. and uh, We're going to pray another prayer. I always end service with this. It's a prayer that says, my life is kind of far away from God. I mean, you may be going through the motions with religion, but you're still far away from God. And, and I want to be with the Lord. I really want the Lord to fill my life and flood my heart. And you'd like to, to invite him to come and do that. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer to, 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 to invite him. The only way you can get hooked up with the Lord is through prayer. And so we'll start with this one. I'll, I'll supply the words. You pray with me, but you pray silently. Just hitchhike on my words and, and join with me if you want to invite the Lord in your life. But I want to know that I'm not just doing this as some religious exercise. In other words, I want to know if somebody's praying with me. And so if you would like to pray with me, uh, the people around you got their eyes closed, but I'm looking. I want you to declare yourself by just, when I say three, I want you to lift your hand so that I know that we're praying together. I'm going to count to three, and then we'll pray. One, two, three. See, one, two, three. Three people raise their hands immediately. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. Anybody else you want to pray with me? 
Okay, let's pray together. You pray silently, but let's pray together. God, I know that you're real. As much as I know my own name, I know that you're real. And I know that you've been reaching out to me. That's why I'm sitting here in this room tonight with all these people. You have been reaching out to me in lots of little ways. And here I am. And I'm reaching back to you. And I ask that you would come into my life and that you'd set me free. Lord, set me free from habits that have become prison. Set me free from religion so that I don't live with a bunch of guilt. Let me come into a loving, full, open relationship with you. God, fill my heart with faith in you. Lord, forgive me for everything wrong I've ever done uh, based on what Jesus did in that transaction on the cross where he, he died to take away our sin and our guilt. And come and just flood me with your spirit. Lord, make a new me inside. Cleanse me. Give me hope where I have had no hope. Give me peace where I have had no peace. God, those desires that are deep, deep down in my heart, desire to be loved, to love other people, uh, desire to accomplish things with my life. Oh, Lord, let those things happen. Let them be real. Let them come to, to fruition in my heart and life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is that good? I want to end with a story. I heard this story today. And um, it's a story of a man who spent some time in prison for drugs. But he was a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, he was a, he was a frail human being who screwed up along the way. But I know that he was a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm certain at the end of his life he was because he said so. But he as a, as a little kid... Um, the story that I heard today, uh, about five years old, he, he watched his neighbor friend drown. And shortly after that, uh, they discovered that he had a, a disease that caused him to go blind. He was a poor kid. Apparently he'd had the disease congenitally from birth, but he went blind. And... Um, for a little while was, was actually institutionalized in a school for blind children. And his mother, they lived in poverty. They lived in the South. He was black. Didn't have much of anything going for him. His mother kept reminding him that you may be blind, but your brain still works. You may be blind, but your brain still works. And I would take that story and I'd twist it a little bit. And I'd say it to you. You may be messed up, but the Spirit of God is alive inside of you. And He can take you places that other people don't think you can go. The little boy who was born with a disease that made him blind grew up to be a man that most of you have heard of. His name was Ray Charles. You may be blind, but your brain still works. And God gave us a gift through Ray Charles in his music. And uh, God has a gift tied up in each one of you. He wants to give that gift to the world. Your life may be really messed up, but the Spirit of the Lord in your heart can make all the difference in the world. We need to learn to pray some idiot prayers.
I'm well done. God bless you.